Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you live in your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Hello, wonderful, beautiful people, and welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, also known as the eighth wonder of the world. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars, because anything less than five stars is uncivilized. I am one half of your humble and gracious host, Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I and I am him. And of course, y'all know I'm not flying this aircraft by myself. I'm here with my friend, my brother, my brethren, once again, the incredible, the uncorruptible Dr. Jason Coleman, ladies and gentlemen. What's going on, good brother? What's going on, bro? You know, another good week. Busy, but um, blessed. You know, blessed to be here. That's a good thing. Um, you know, the Yankees keep losing, so that's hard to watch. But um, football season is starting soon, so, you know. Yeah, man, we need that. Can that can't you know? start and, um, you know, eventually the Cowboys will disappoint me, but um, I think the Jets are going to have something interesting for us to watch. So, you know how I go. What do you think about uh, your quarterback down there? Yeah, he, uh, he's looking all right. I think it was uh, maybe moving a little too fast for him. He threw an interception, but, I mean, uh, he's talented, man. He's talented. If he, I just need him to stay healthy through the season and just and play well. Like, I don't expect us – uh, like, I'm not naive enough to say we're going to go from three or four wins or whatever we had last year to uh, to making the playoffs. Like, that's not realistic. Like, it's possible, but, like, I'm not expecting that. Um, but if we can make progress from last year and then still end up getting a good draft pick so we can get a good receiver, because that's what we got to get him. Like, if, if he plays well enough where he's, we're able to cement him, like, all right, this is our franchise quarterback for the future, which I, I'm – I'm pretty confident that he will be. Now it's time to go out and get him some weapons, right? Let's go out and get him a receiver. Let's go out and get him something, uh, somebody that's coming out the draft. And there's a couple good receivers coming out the draft this year. Um, like they've been like the mock drafts that they put out. So, um, so yeah, man, it's gonna be a uh, gonna be cool. We gonna we gonna see what it's, what it's hitting for, you know? All right. I mean, listen, man. I think we I think we're gonna get some uh, good football this year. So I'm looking forward to it. You know. Absolutely. Um, on Netflix, the series Quarterback, it's good. Yeah, I it's like it. I I, I'm not even gonna lie, man. Like, I'm not really interested. Like, listen, I heard it was good. I love Patrick Mahomes. That's my guy. I love football, but I'm not a big per guy. Like, I'm a big fan, but I'm not like one of these dudes that's gonna be watching like behind the scenes documentaries and all this if it's not related to the Cowboys. Like I'm just not. Uh, no, no, all right. Well, so I, I, so they'll have your boy on probably next year. They'll get him on there. You know what I mean? I mean, listen, we I, I don't think we'll ever be on there. Well, I'm talking about hard knocks. We ain't gonna be on there because we're gonna be in the playoffs. But you know, quarterback, it is what it is. Man. But you know, I heard it was. Also, I'd be remiss also if we didn't wish a happy belated birthday to the original 
Dr. Coleman, Papa Coleman. How was the birthday for, for, for Pops, man? I was good, man. 75 years old, you know, 48 years, um, you know, serving Hudson County, Essex County, you know, um, as a pediatrician. So that was big, man. Um, and, you know, just giving him his flowers, man. Like, you know, why, you know, why he's good, why he, why he can receive them. So appreciate mm-hmm. that. You know? Yeah, man. Pictures look good. I'm like, look at that. Look good out there. I was like, okay. That's the blueprint right there. Yeah, that was a good night. You know, everything was first, first class. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. All right, Jason, let, let's get into it. Uh, Word. I know, um, You've been getting asked probably, you know, by your friends and family. I know I've been getting asked about it. Uh, the brawl, the brawl down there in, in Alabama, Montgomery. All right. It was uh, there. There's footage everywhere. The Internet is, had a blast with it, all types of memes and nicknames, uh, all kinds of things. Right. And so much footage is out there from like all different angles. So I'm going to try to give like a brief summation of what took place and, and kind of, uh, you know, our viewpoint on it. All right. So for those of you that don't know, um, earlier this month, there was uh, a melee, there was a, a, a brawl, uh, whatever, you know, title, however you want to label it, that took place outside of, uh, of a dock down there in, um, in Montgomery, Alabama. So what took place was that a dock worker was attempting to get a group of gentlemen to move his or, or their platoon so a dinner crew city riverboat could dock. Um, it was reported that the staffer, he asked them about five or six times to move their boat. Um, when the group boaters, when the group of them refused to move their pontoon from the riverfront, um, the gentleman, uh, the staffer, and another and another staff member from the cruise liner, um, they untied their boat that belonged to the uh, to the gentleman who were all white. I don't mind you, let me preface this by saying that also for pe- people aren't aware. The group mm-hmm. of uh, that owned the, the rumble were all white, male and female. Um, so the staffers, after again uh, requesting them to move the boat numerous times, took it upon themselves to remove the the rope and moved it about. Uh, I think they cut three steps or down down to the right, and then retied it to the post. So the cruise liner or the not the cruise liner, but the uh, other riverfront casino boat, could dock. So after that, they proceeded to curse out the staff member, threaten him. And then he was assaulted, right? He was assaulted in his face, and then somebody hit him from behind. And uh, after that, the the group from the rest of that party just started to just wail out on a dude. They started, you know, just rolling on him, hitting him, kicking him, all kinds of different things. So from that point on, the things started to escalate, right? You saw one person that was from, I think he was also one of the staffers come and try to de-escalate things. Uh, there was another staffer, or no, not even another staffer. It was just uh, another kid. I think he was like 16. He jumped in the water and he's swimming over there, right? Um, he's been getting all types of nicknames in the internet, calling them, um, yeah, all, all, all different types of um, nicknames and uh, Aquaman. Uh, they called him. What was I'm trying to think of another one? Yo, uh, I, I I saw all kinds of like chair memes, all kinds yeah, of like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, I yeah. see the dude where like, I was. That's what I was just looking at on my phone. Somebody yeah, got a yeah. tattoo of a chair. All types I mean, of this hat. You know, the hat was it's like the back signal now. All the types of things. Um, so all different types of things. So as right. the chaos was escalating, right? I told you there were a couple people that tried to come to the uh staffers defense. Um, and then there were people, I guess, that came that were that were viewing it that came down from all different angles, right? There were folks, they went to conf- uh, help the guy that was getting jumped, and then they went to um 
approach the 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 assailants, and then it all out brawl just took place, man. I mean, Jay, the way it looked like, depending on what footage people saw, like it would look like the Royal Rumble out there, right? Yeah. Like you, you said, you mentioned people were in chairs when, and mind you, like the dude with the chair was totally out of line, right? Totally absurd. Like that was that was totally uncalled for. Um, people were doing wrestling moves. I saw one dude get pile drive. Like it was it was crazy out there. Like it was really wild. Um, so fast forward towards this this long brawl that took place. Um, I want to say currently five people I think are have been turned have been arrested or turned themselves in or, or whatever the case is. One being uh, the person with the chair, um, and the other people that were arrested were the individuals that instigated and perpetrated the, uh, the incident by attacking the staffer. Um, so I want to say it's about four white people, white suspects, and then the the black guy that had the chair that was hitting people. Um, yeah, no, nah, it was just totally out of control. Like it escalated really fast, and right. um, you know, pretty much like what I saw throughout of all of that. I mean, first and foremost, we here don't condone any type of violence. Um, get it if it's in a situation of self defense, but just the way the whole thing just escalated and got out of hand is, is definitely something it shouldn't have got to that point however uh all in all i mean what i observed was just we had a group of people who were pretty much exhausted at taking losses right in the face of what entitlement this was privilege right the person was asked to move the boat multiple times they decided not to they're yelling and cursing at the staff for so on and so forth right so pretty much this was and then they took it upon themselves to get by for, for no apparent reason. So what I saw was a group of people who were pretty much exhausted and tired of taking these L's. And whether, you know, historically these L's and these losses that, you know, this group of people have been taking, whether it's been socially, economically, or physically, I mean, this is what I took to be, this is what enough is enough looks like, right? This is unfortunately like in its rawest form. Like this was that racial- oh, you talking, talking about the black people? I'm talking about the black people, yeah. That's what I, you know what I mean? I saw a group of people saying like, no, nah, we're not, we're not putting up with this anymore. Like this was racial solidarity, unfortunately, through violence and through protection. Um, absolutely. Um, I will, even though I don't like the violence aspect, I do commend the person, especially the kid. Cause I think he was like 16, 17 years old. who jumped in the water to come to the person's defense. Um, that's the dude that swam all the way over there. That swam over, man. Listen, he, he was he had to be young, bro, because you know this. Like, we were just talking about age. That ain't that ain't our age, bro. That, that's not yeah, us. I get it. And, and he got all eaten. Listen, he swam across Yo, the water. You would have been you would have been fight. winded by the time you got over there. Yeah, 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 yeah. He got up, got up out the water, and started fighting. Um, but that's what that was like, pretty much in summary, right? You saw a group of people that you saw one person, unfortunately, being victimized, being assaulted, um, and you saw a group of people come to his defense, and like this was the solidarity that. Uh, again, took place through violence and protection. Um, so that was kind of like my first kind of takeaway or, you know, of, of what I saw. How, how was it? What came up for you? Um, I mean, all right. Just first glance, like, first glance. to be honest with you, it just looked, it just looked like, I don't mean to, to portray myself that as a person that's just frequently around violence, but it's like, I've been around chaotic situations before, right? And it looked like a lot of them, right? It just looked like, honestly, they, I thought they was intoxicated. I don't know if they were, 
You know what I mean? But the way Absolutely. they were kind of moving and falling and all that and their coordination, you know, I, I figured they was intoxicated and it looked like they jumped them. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? <laughs> they rolled on them, they jumped them. And then you saw a bunch of people that saw it happening and came to his aid. And then a big fight break out because when that happens, when you have situations like that, you have people that run into in, into those situations and then inevitably somebody's brother, somebody's girl jump in the middle. Hey, stop. That, and a person is on go. They're going to push that person. They're going to hit that person. It, and, it, and it just escalates. Yep. And that's what it looked like to me. You know what I'm saying? It looked like a type of fight that you would see, you know, in a, at a, we was just talking about festivals and stuff like that at an event like that, or, you know, out, outside, like, it seemed like that's something you would, you would see. Um, I think what makes this situation different, obviously is where it, it occurred, right? Because it was, it's Montgomery, right? Right. So when we talk about the history of Montgomery, that port, when you talk about the slave trade or the history of Montgomery when it comes to the civil rights movement, right? That's why the conversation has gone to the next level, right? Um, so I understand why the conversation has come to the next level, but I think it's, first I, I want to ask a question before I even make a statement. I heard the captain who's white say it was like racially motivated. That's that was his opinion, right? But I'm I, I don't know. I haven't heard the black guy say that they was using any racial slurs or anything like that. I, I so educate me if, if you've heard that. I haven't heard that. I don't he know. Said the person that was attacked, uh, um the staffer that was uh initially attacked said that they were very hostile, very aggressive towards him. Like like they were threatening him I, and they were that's what I heard too, right? And he Thank said they was trying to, he was holding on for life. They was trying to beat him up, saying we're going to yeah. beat you, your ASS, all of that. But, right. So, again, they, these are drunk, angry people. So, I think it's a slippery slope. You understand? Because now, if this brawl doesn't happen in Montgomery and it's New York City in the middle of Times Square, are we having a racially motivated conversation? Is it, are people asking the FBI to file civil rights charges? Again, we have to be careful, right? Because those are the type of guns we brought out for Ahmad Arbery, right? Now, I'm glad people came to his defense and it happened to be white people jumping a black person and we and they formed together like the like Voltron and, and, the, and, and, and I get it. But I think we got to now like people are protesting the stores and they want they want the FBI to be involved. Pull me back, bro. If you you know what I mean, like I I don't know. I don't know if that's a little bit of a stretch with the information that we have. You know what I mean? I'll say take this brawl and put it in New York, put it in Philadelphia on Broad and Market. Are we having conversations about that? I don't know. So that's I guess that's where it went a little too far for me, um, but. Other than that, it just seems like drunk people that are taking advantage, they're emboldened by the alcohol and the numbers, and they jump somebody. And then you see a bunch of other people like, nah, we're not having that. And they grab that person's back. And that's what I saw. You know what I mean? It got wild. I, I absolutely, like, I don't want to misspeak um, because there have been a lot of different um, 
takes around same some some observers because again on the video you hear a lot of uh commentary on there right and right, right. some people are saying oh they heard racial slurs being being thrown out there i would have to reread the uh the gentleman his his report um that he disclosed but i mean a lot of the i mean the same question could be asked if you know about the racial component is um if the staffer had been white right say the staffer was white and he was asking the group of people to move their vote would they have had the same reaction we don't know no, but right? these are and i understand like but see we gotta have we gotta those to me those are different questions right what, no totally they are because there's a convers there's a conversation to be had about were those white people in in that situation or do white people in general are they, are they being intentionally resistant and combative with a black man that's in power right and deliberately disobeying him that's a conversation to be had but we right. can't automatically assume that they could have just been drunk people that's like yo why you touch my boat I don't know. I, that's what I'm saying. I'm reacting off the information that I have, but I see a lot of people assuming what you what you, what you're saying, which I which I don't necessarily have a problem with. But when I go and look at what the people involved said, the, the captain said he thought it was racially motivated. He wasn't there. He was on the boat, and the guy that was assaulted didn't say nothing about you know. Now I don't want this to turn into. You understand what I'm saying? I'm defending the people that did it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I don't know if a situation if it's a situation where the FBI needs to be involved. White people drunk one black dude, some other people grabbed his back. Does that mean that this was a race riot? I don't know. But but you have to be very careful when you go down that road because it's putting it in the same category as the resources we requested for Mod Arbery. You understand what I'm saying? And that's why I said I'm basing my reaction off the information we have so far, but I'm glad they grabbed his back because he was obviously unsafe, right? But, and they were trying to harm him. But whether this was in a city with that history, you know what I mean? We got to be very careful what what we're kind of aligning. And that's my personal opinion. So I, I get it. You know, most people agree with what you said. The setting has a lot to, to play into it, right? Like you mentioned, you mentioned the significance of the dock. You mentioned Montgomery overall, right? Historically, right. we don't know what is taking place down there. It's the South. Um, and so, again, it's the question of, of, all right, is absolutely, there's definitely privilege involved in this, right? There's privilege. There's a lot of other different things. Now, is it in particular? like Well, yeah, that's, that's definitely involved. Right. So the question is, is it white privilege or is, again, just incorporate where it's just privilege due to economics as a privilege due to because the person people were intoxicated because he absolutely said that they were intoxicated he said that, that when he was trying yeah. to talk to him automatically yeah so, i don't i don't think that's in dispute is that they was intoxicated and belligerent like you can right. see that on the rate on the on the video you understand what i'm saying and he confirmed that through what he said and that's further confirmed through their arrests right but i don't think the same interview that he gave where he gave lots of details bro he talked for a while about what happened and how it happened and what they said to him so i'm not defending them i'm just saying in in everything that what he said he didn't say anything about anybody 
mentioning race or anything. The only person that mentioned race was the captain. You understand what I'm saying? And the captain was like, yo, I think the, the attack on Damien was racially motivated. And he has a right to feel that way because he's familiar with the people involved. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I'm just saying all of us watching the video, there's no way we can tell unless the person that's there says, yo, they, was, they called me this or they said that or they told me I can't tell them what it's to do because of this. Especially for spectators to jump to that conclusion just because, again, you see all white, you see all black, right? Right, so I understand that part. Yeah, I understand absolutely going to take that. They're going to run with it. At the end of the day, this was so unavoidable, right? I mean, this was so avoidable, right? In the case of, like, literally, the, the privilege involved with that was that they felt like the rules didn't apply to them. And then everything just spiraled from there. That the fact that they didn't want to move it, <laughs> yeah. everything down there, because if they move the boat, none of this happens, right? At all. Right. So that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to, again, just not going along where you're not respecting authority. It's the entitlement factor due to whatever variables people want to do. It's a situation where, like, when you think the rules don't apply to you, and now all of a sudden, again, like, I get it. I won't want anybody touching my stuff, my car, my boat, my whatever. And at the same time, it was the way that they reacted to that particular situation. Of, right? that, of that's course. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course. That's an extreme reaction to someone who had asked you repeatedly to move your property. You didn't do it because, again, we've seen this even on the road. Like, if your car is parked illegally, it's going to get moved. And yo, so, you know what I mean? Yo, it's so funny that you say that. Because the whole reason for my point is, right, this same situation, you can take it out of the water, right? And say, my man, it was double parked and there's six of them in the car. And the only person not in the car was the driver and the black man is giving them a ticket. The driver come out and do and, and does that. Right. The same thing is going to happen. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? New big. York, L.A., Montgomery. Right. That's what's going to happen in a situation like that. So. I again, I don't know, like yo, and 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 again, bro, I'm I'm saying it's off the information that I saw. If he came out tomorrow and was like, yo, they called me the N-word, they said you get out of here, you don't belong, whatever the case may be, then we're going down that road. You understand what I'm saying? But I, I mean, I don't I don't know from what I saw, is what I'm saying. But yeah. listen, the internet is having fun with it, you know, I get it. Um, I I don't have no problem with the memes, all that. I just think like, and again, if people want to protest outside their stores and all that and make them pay for it financially, that's their right. I'm just saying like calls for the FBI. I just think it's a little, unless the guy is saying like, it's a little, it's a little crazy. Like the, the thing with, with Ahmaud Arbery, like, yo, they hunted him because he was a black man right. jogging in their neighborhood. Right, like that. This is look like if they were forty years younger, we would be like, "Yo, we could see like frat boys doing this." You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know. We'll see. I will say. Um, speaking of spiraling, right? All right. So a lot, a lot of times, what we've talked about in the past is like just been the influx or the increase, especially since COVID of the mental health crisis, like, like we've seen a significant increase, unfortunately, in, in individuals reporting their challenges um, and one experiencing mental health symptoms or mental health issues, and then also getting treatment. 
the part that a lot of times um, the conversation doesn't focus on of those individuals, especially when we're talking about like children or adolescents, right? We've talked about how the, the increase in, in their mental health has been in regards to those challenges is that the parents, right? The caretakers, the individuals that are also involved in this particular situation. So the recent article that came about that talks about parents that are seeing their own health spiral as their kids' mental health or mental illnesses worsen. And as parents are trying to navigate through the mental health care system, uh, a lot of the shortcomings and stress can start and have been taking a physical and mental health toll that disrupts their ability to even provide care for their children. So there are a lot of different variables. Like as I was reading this article, there was a lot of different uh, variables that will start to take, especially in totality, impact a parent's mental health as they're trying to care for their kids' mental health. So one of the things that you know immediately um, came to the forefront for me was that just as a parent, when you see your kid, especially with a mental health issue or mental illness, um, is is taking place. Is that there's a lot of blame, right? There's a lot of self-blame. There's a lot of hopelessness. There's a lot of of guilt that a parent's going to put on themselves. Like the immediate question, and you know, this is generally speaking, because um, it is a case by case and it's an individualized situation. But a lot of times, generally speaking, the parent's going to blame themselves. The parent's going to think about their own shortcomings. What I could have did differently. Am I a bad parent? All these other different things, and that's something that we know, especially with depression, is hopelessness is the key ingredient, right? If you have a high number or a high significant amount of hopelessness, yeah, your depression symptoms are absolutely going to increase. Um, and that comes along just with kind of that blame, right? It, it's something that parents shouldn't do, but it seems like, but unfortunately, just that comes along with the territory, right? Even though you try to think as rationally as possible and you try to take in consideration some of the circumstances and the situational aspects of variables, but a lot of the time, anything that takes place with your kid, especially them being ill, whether they're experiencing depression, they're experiencing anxiety, a lot of times is that hopelessness you feel as a parent because, again, it's not something you can also just go out and fix, right? There's so many oh. different things that we know treating your mental health. It isn't something that, like, when the kids are younger, you can come up behind them fix the issue, kind of make them feel better or whatever. As they get older, that's not the case. So hopelessness is one thing that really came to the forefront for me that I know a lot of parents battle with. Well, that's, you know, like one thing, right? Like that a lot of people kind of fail to embrace is that mental health, right? Especially when you're talking about somebody under the age of 18, um, even over the age of 18, if you're talking about severe and persistent mental illness, but it doesn't just affect the person, right? It's going to affect the whole family. Right. The whole family system, depending on what your orientation is. Right. Um, because, again, if, you, if you're a parent, and you have a six year old and your six year old, God forbid, breaks their leg or has asthma. You can. Clear your schedule, go to the pediatrician, get a referral, get surgery, get the leg fixed. Right. Take the cast off. You feel great because the child is is good. Right have asthma, get them an inhaler, get them albuterol, nebulizer, whatever, they're back to normal, right? If your kid has depression, there's nothing you can do about it except support them in therapy, right? If they need medication, uh, monitoring and support them with that, right? And reinforce everything that's, that's, that's taught, right? It's a very hands-off in certain aspects and 
controlless process, if that's even a word, right? Yes, no. Uh, I mean, so yeah. when you talk about helplessness, you know, being a caretaker for a sick child, right, is is makes you vulnerable to mental illness yourself if you don't have appropriate coping skills and support because it's going to make you anxious. It will give you symptoms of depression, right, hopelessness, fatigue, lack of concentration. It will dr drive you to increase your alcohol, illegal drug use, cannabis use, whatever it is, right? So um, vulnerable, absolutely, right? Um, but I, that's one thing when I'm sitting with parents, you know, even if it's their child's, you know, um, evaluation, I always set some time um, aside and I talk to them about getting their own support, right? Because um, a lot of a lot of parents, that's one thing that they overlook. But two things that I think they most a lot of parents are accepting of is, you know, the fact that because like post COVID, you can engage in therapy the same way we're taught having this conversation. Right. Like over Zoom or, or via telehealth, um, you know, and the old table analogy. Right. Like, OK, mom, dad, you could shoulder on. You could keep putting stuff on, on top because you think, you know, you, you got to take all the hits for your kid. But when one of them legs go out. Guess what? Everybody goes down. You know? I'm going to out something that you said uh, earlier. You said well, it was the control factor. And like yeah. as a parent, bro, like. Not having control is like is one of the worst feelings that you can have, especially when it comes to taking care of your kid, right? So in the other article we were looking at, um, the CDC just recently reported that more people have died uh, due to suicide in the U.S. last year or in 2022 than any other year on record, right? They said that there was a death had increased in 2021 and in 2022 to like to nearly 50,000. And they, it's because, or at least what's a contributing variable is that it's that increase the need of, of mental health care. But unfortunately, there's also been a decrease in availability of mental health care to clients. So now, even though it's more of a need, right, there is a lot less individuals that are getting that treatment. And so now they're isolating and it's even more um, stressful because it's hard to find care. That issue is contributing to the increase in regards to the children's and adolescents that don't work in mental health, right? What if you're a parent and you're trying to find health care or you're trying to find a therapist or a counselor for your child and you're unable to do it? You're on a wait list or you're in a rural area where you can't get it or it's just there just aren't enough clinicians. Like overall, that's something that especially that COVID absolutely highlighted, right? The disparity in regards to getting health care. As a parent, you see your kid suffering, and if you're not able to get your kid the services that he need, and again, it's not a maybe, it might not be your health insurance. It might not be, it's the fact that you don't have availability, right? They don't have availability in your area or the clinicians that you're trying to get them hooked up with. And then you just see your child, unfortunately, continue to get worse. Like that's, it's, it's such a terrible feeling, man. And it's just like, it just eats at you. So that control factor, not having that, because that's a factor that's out of your Control, even with, like you mentioned, Zoom and uh, and virtual therapy and all these other different things or teletherapy, but sometimes you know you got a lot of kids that aren't getting it due to those things that are beyond their control. I mean, listen, yo, there's a. I, I think we we all have have seen different things, so it's 
I think it's good because it enlightens our perspective, right? Uh, and I will agree with you 100%. Like, it's a lot of barriers to these kids getting treatment, right? Especially when they're, like, suburban kids get a lot more treatment because of the resources. And, I mean, I'm really talking about the resources of their parents, not really the, the talent, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, I think it's a lot harder sometimes in the city, right? Because there's a lot more barriers. Totally. But I mean, yo, me and you have worked in a lot of these nonprofits. Like, there's therapists all over Philly and Jersey. Now, getting to them, you know what I mean, is a is an issue sometimes. But what what I find, and I'm I'm not blaming the parents, right? Because I think parents do their best, right? But one issue I think is when we talk about control, right? I think a lot of parents wait too long, right? So. Parents are the experts on their kids. They know that them like the back of their hands, right? So when you sit down with mom, mom can tell you the day, the year, the month when that kid started behaving anxiously, when they started isolating, when they first made the, the, the first statement of suicidal ideation. Usually with some parents, it's a month ago, a week ago, and that's why they're there. Usually it's not that way, though. It's usually a year ago. It's usually last summer when they went to see grandma, right? And, the, and usually the parent, right, a lot in my experience, tries to take care of the situation, right? So if you're anxious, I'll talk to you about why you shouldn't be. If you're depressed and sad, I'll talk to you about the reasons why you don't have to be depressed. If you're suicidal, I'll tell you that if you commit suicide, I'm going to be upset and you'll go to hell and it's against our religion. And parents do what makes them feel better, right? I mean, as, as people, it's the same way when somebody dies and we say, oh, they're with the Lord. And, and me and you know that does nothing to the person that for that person has lost somebody. It's for you. Yeah. It's for you that has said it, right? So that you can feel like you contributed something, right? When all that person really might need is for you to give them a hug or say something nice about the memory of the person or just be there, right? But offer them, and, and we all do it, right? The intent is there, but I'm talking about what actually happens, right? So I think that's a lot of problem when it comes to parents, right? They wait too long, right? Because this parents should respond to mental health concerns the same they respond, the way they respond to bullying the next day. Right. There's not a parent. There's not a parent on this earth whose kid comes home crying and they're like, yo, um, this kid is bothering me. And they say, oh, baby, you just go deal with it. No, they're like, oh, I'll be there. Right. Yeah. Well, so of, of how they treat a medical issue. Right. Like if right. your kid comes home with a sprained ankle or they, they come home limping, what's the first thing you do? You take them to the urgent clinic. Right, you're gonna take them to the ER. Let's get this looked at. I don't know. They only you don't even play around with it. It's like, all right, well, we I don't know. Outside of all right, let's put some ice on these some Tylenol. But like if, if little Johnny is, is limping a little bit, now nah, we're going to the urgent clinic. We're gonna get to check that right away. Good. You know, but I, I I I I agree with you. So I'm not I'm not blaming them because I'm not expecting parents to be experts in mental health, right? But I think it goes along with kind of with with what is sometimes the expected behavior of a parent, right? Your kid is crying, you talk to them about their feelings, you wipe their nose, and you find a way to make them happy, right? And then when they get happy, you happy again, right? 
So, but as children get older, right, the needs that, that that's, that's what we do with babies, right? <laughs> but as a child gets older and becomes like an adolescent, right? We can't, when turning, we got to understand as adults that turning the page is for us, right? Because you don't want to see the kid depressed no more. You don't want to see the kid anxious. So you'll try to talk them out of it a lot. That, so that's why caregiver support is important, right? Because a lot of times a parent isn't going to know this unless you tell them in a respectful manner. You know what I mean? Because they're not trying to damage their kids. I, I, I To this day, I, I've met very few, you know, in a single, I can count them on one hand, who are intentionally trying to damage their children. You understand what I'm saying? I think the early intervention aspect is so crucial for the reason that it affects other different stressful variables, right? So what also sometimes isn't focused when you're talking about like mental health care is the financial component, especially if you're the parent, because you're the one that's funding all of this, right? Whatever type of treatment. The sooner that, in, and again, just generally speaking, because everybody's situation is different depending on whatever challenges that they're experiencing. But typically, the sooner you're able to get your kid those mental health services, the earlier the intervention, that puts you in a better place, or at least prognosis where you're not going to be having to spend even more money for like, because the situation or the, uh, the symptoms have become more severe. So you're talking about, say, outpatient treatment as compared to, unfortunately, parents that have had to have their kids experience inpatient hospitalizations. Or if you're talking about a more severe where it starts to manifest or evolve into, you know, severe persistent mental illness, you're talking about possible RTS, right? You're talking about residential treatment facilities. You're talking about medication. You're talking about all these other different um, advances in regards to interventions. And these things cost, like even with, if you have great insurance, they still cost, right? There's still an out-of-pocket, there's a copay, there's all these other different bills that you're going to be getting. Absolutely. And that's a component that, again, is not talked about, right? I know, unfortunately, I've worked inpatient for a long time, and I've had conversations with, with some of these parents, and it's expensive. It is very expensive to get your kid that, and, you know, any type of form of treatment. But, of course, the more severe, the more costly it's going to be, depending on, you know, where you're, the kid or the type of treatment, right? If it is a situation where they're in an inpatient hospitalization or RTF, those aren't like in your, they're not always located like in your neck of the woods, whether you're rural or a city. Like a lot of these RTFs, a lot of these inpatient hospitals, a lot of these other different um, facilities are like out way beyond her. And so again, that's a distance factor that you have to put in. So if you want to go see your kid, you got to pay tolls, gas, all these other different things. So the bills of all these little different ancillary um, responsibilities and debts start to you know take its toll. So absolutely, the early intervention aspect and just looking at it from a financial component, it's in your best interest, one, to get the kid to care, right, as soon as possible so it doesn't continue to, get to worsen the, their symptoms. But two, absolutely, to reduce your financial aspect of it, because that's always involved, unfortunately, um, gets very costly. And then it's time away that you're taking to visit the person in the hospital, which could also have an impact on mom and dad's job, right? If you're constantly taking time off to visit the kid or they're in the hospital or whatever the case is, or you're constantly getting called back out of school out of your job, that could put your income, your situation in jeopardy. So 
Um, a lot of it, you know, it's a it's a cycle, but there are some aspects where if you're able to get in front of it early enough or address it early enough, you can kind of mitigate some of the other different stressful components. I mean, listen, I can't disagree with that. Like that's that's why like listen, when I started, you know, making my statement, I, I said barriers are definitely an issue, right? Because I, I do understand that every person isn't gonna you know, work at a place that where they have Blue Cross, Blue Shield insurance and, you know, um, where they're going to have <clears throat> adequate coverage for mental health. But specifically, when we talk about this conversation and we're talking about like kids that are struggling with things like bullying or some anxiety symptoms or my advice to parents in general would be, see, we first we have to get over the stigma, right? Because um my suggestion, my first suggestion to parents would be to, to look at the resources that are available to them for free. And that's going to be through the school. Right. So every every kid goes to a school. Right. And every school has a guidance counselor. Right. But most parents. Right. They're going to look at themselves as they reach out to the school for like counseling or support. A lot of people will look at it like. You know what are they going are they going to stigmatize my kid right are they going to do this are they going to do that it's still that is still a part of it right of, of and so it's a barrier um but it's still something that i think a lot of people could take advantage of but they don't right because it's kind of like when i if you deal with a family that you know is involved with the division now nobody wants the division in their home or talking to their kids or invest or division investigation right but once you have one right the division has a lot of resources that can help you therapy being one of them right uh parenting class whatever whatever it, it is but a lot these are things that a lot of parents don't realize right so if your child because again right if a child goes to school and, re and reports that they want to hurt themselves or all of a sudden, you're going to realize that the school has counseling services, right? Because when the kid comes back, that's what he's going to be plugged into, right? And when the, and when the school calls the division, you'll, you'll also realize how many services they have, right? Because then they're going to get evaluated and the division is going to set them up with therapy, right? A lot of times for people that can't afford it. Now, are there other issues that go along with that? You know, racial disparity in terms of those cases and all that? Yes, but we're talking about one specific issue here, right, which is people's access to treatment. And if your kid needs help, then there are ways to access it, right? And through the school is one way I think a lot of people don't use, right? So here's what it is. Thing, right? That takes us to the next part of our conversation is like living with someone with mental illness, which can be difficult, right? Like we're not sitting up here saying that one, getting health care or getting care for your for your child or your adolescent is easy, right? You just mentioned um, a whole bunch of barriers. Um, so absolutely, it can be hard in your relationship, whether it's your child, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your sibling, whatever the case may be. It can absolutely be very challenging and very stressful because managing their mental health illness or disorder may also become the center of your interaction or the center of your attention. Um you know, changing the dynamics of your relationship. So what your relationship was maybe previous to the onset of their symptoms is now different due to whatever the severity or wherever they are on the spectrum, depending on whatever disorder that they're experiencing. But there is good news, right? So, you know, the good news is living with someone with 
you know, someone that has a mental health issue or a disorder doesn't mean it has to degrade your relationship. It may change it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it can it has to degrade it or minimize it or change it for, for the negative. And so even though in spite of the challenges that we just kind of talk, talked about, you know, there are strategies that you can use to deal with the stress um, while still they're managing their symptoms. And so you and I are going to talk about that. One thing that I think is very imperative is learning about their mental illness, right? Like if you live with someone that has depression, that has anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, whatever the case may be, uh, trauma, it's really important that you learn about what this person is experiencing, right? It's learning about what their experience is not the same thing as like you have to experience it yourself to in order for you to be able to be supportive. But you want to know, okay, what is this person experiencing, right? What is it like for them? Like it is individualized for every person, but the more information you get about what this person is struggling with, you know, now you're in a you're in a position where you're getting more information, and it also starts to sink in and make sense to you. Like, oh, okay, this explains why this person, you know, maybe this is why they've been behaving differently or during a certain part of the day, or notice, you know, why the mood has been changing, more sleep more active, whatever the case or the symptoms may be, um, you get that about learning about the mental health. Because again, there are a lot of myths, there are a lot of, um, you know, misconceptions about whatever, a, a, you know, a particular mental health issue or disorder is and how that's going to impact, uh, you know, your loved one. So I highly recommend and really encourage anyone, if your family member, especially someone that you're living with, is diagnosed, um, is that you absolutely take it upon yourself to get information about their mental health issue that they're experiencing. What do you, what's your well, take? You know what? It, listen, this is um, a difficult subject, right? Um, for people, just because, listen, it's kind of like, what we were talking about before like it's reasons why they have whole you know programs that are dedicated to like families of people who are recovering addicts right or families with people who are gambling who have gambling addiction right because again mental illness affects the whole family right right so we just talked about some of the challenges parents have some of the things they do right some of the decisions they probably shouldn't make in terms of all with the intent of helping their kid move past it, right? I think we can agree on that, right? Um, but this is a difficult subject because I remember either watching a, uh, well, watching something and having a conversation with people who were actually in this situation, right? And one of the biggest challenges they would have is when their partner was, you know, acting strange or, you know, um, anxious, whatever, and they would ask their partner, did you take your medication, right? How do you go about that, right? Especially if it's coming from an area of legitimate concern. So you have to know, like with certain, when you're dealing with people that have certain challenges, you have to know what you're dealing with, right? Because for some people that would be a deal breaker on both ends, asking me if I took my medication, right? And for some people, if I can ask you that, I don't know. People have a right to fall on both sides of it, right? Um, but, you know, we, we, you have to take a thorough look at both sides, right? Because if you're the partner, um, there will be good days and there will be bad days, right? So 
and and if you're really that person's partner, then you have to go into that relationship with the expectation that on those bad days, you know, you'll carry the water, right? Um, which is which is I think a, something a lot of people would sign up for if their partner was struggling with mental illness, right? Now, if as partners you also hold yourself accountable, right? And we know that people that have mental health disorders do things like hoard their medication, don't take it some days because they feel they're okay, right? So if you're that partner and you feel like something is off, how do you can you hold your partner accountable and how do you do it? Right? It's this that that's a situation that can ruin relationships, right? It can exacerbate some people's symptoms, right? Um so again, a lot of people look at being in a relationship with somebody that has mental illness as just being supportive, right? You should not be supportive. It's a lot more than that. I think right? it's, it's uh, what, what does this support look like, right? For the reason that supportive is very different from, you know, with Tammy than supportive looks like with Jennifer, right? Or like with Randy than it does with Brandon. And that's where the communication aspect comes in. Like, all right, if we're going to go through with this as I'm supporting you, you know, when you're having your challenges or when you're experiencing your symptoms or just overall. OK, this is where, like you said, the accountability part. Right. This is how I can be supportive or what way do you need me to be supportive? It's having that open kind of communication dialogue and saying, hey, if I ask you if you took your medication, right, you're not taking it as defensive or I'm trying to say it in a condescending manner or if I'm taking a jab at you, I'm. I'm asking you, did you take your medication? Like, because I'm asking you, but like becoming defensive. Oh, oh well, I can't express emotion unless I'm, you know, like those conversations of what that support looks like have to take place. That's a slippery slope, right? Because if you're the person without the diagnosis, you bear that weight of not doing that, right? Mm -hmm. Not being wrong in a conversation or the other person get agitated rightfully so because you because you said some bullshit or whatever and you you okay mm -hmm. like oh and of course obviously you know this a lot of this is you know going to be contingent of people's personality and the state they're in and what in, in the amount of stress they're under and all these things but my my point in bringing it up is just it's not as simple as just emotionally supporting somebody, right? Like, like with some some people who who have some di different diagnoses, like it it impacts their personality and their behavior in some distinct ways, right? And for a lot of people, if they haven't seen it, they don't understand, right? Because for a lot of some people, depression is aggression, it's irritability. Right? It's not laying in a bed with my with my covers over my head. So some people, depression is going to be aggression and irritability, right? And it's going to look something like some something else, right? Um, for some people, anxiety looks like that, right? Um, so if you have a person who's generally, and I mean, obviously, those are two disorders that are fairly common that everybody can kind of relate to. Um, you can just imagine how those things you know, um, can impact somebody's everyday life, right? Somebody with PTSD, you know, um, who's hypervigilant and nervous, you know, and, and like it can impact your 
life in a way where you know you really got to educate yourself and obviously you got to care about the person but you have to really know what you're dealing with right that's why they have support groups right because um you know of course you don't want to traumatize the person more but um you know being a caregiver or being a, a son of a caregiver or a daughter of a caregiver with a mental illness it makes you, it, it affects you it may make you vulnerable to develop something different you know so just a lot it's just interesting how you know all of those things kind of are roots that kind of sprout off the same subject you know the opposite end of the spectrum is that right we talked about you know being supportive and you have that area of you know you communicating so you're not walking on eggshells right so you're not at each other getting defensive and things the opposite end of the spectrum are those people or family members or supportive folks that are too supportive right where they become emotionally over involved with the person and so that's something that isn't talked about i think it's frequent enough is that you don't want to make the mistake of being that or trying to be that person's therapist right that's not right you don't need to oh we need to do this and you start okay you want to get information that's cool but don't come in here now because you don't went to barnes and noble and got the dsm-5 and now you're coming in and you got all these other different books you got the cbt by beck and you're going to sit here and you haven't had a psychology course since undergrad. And now I was saying, oh, well, you just need to do this. I said, like, no, you don't but need you to. Said you got the CBT by back. You know, like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to be your family member's therapist. That's not the way it works, right? Be supportive. Be understanding some of the things that we talked about. Absolutely have those conversations. But they, if they have a therapist, it needs to be by a therapist, right? That's who they need to get their services by. Like, there's a fine line between being supportive and then you overstepping and being and blurring those lines and then you thinking that you're going to provide therapy for this person. That's not the way it works. You got to save that for the person. But it again, happens. Again, we got to separate intention from reality, right? So those, all of those family members, all of those people that do stuff like that, they have the best intentions, right? But reality is that they do the person harm. Right, by trying to be their therapist because every one of those people everywhere in America and every corner of the world would always be a horrible therapist for their family because they will all follow the same pattern of behavior. They will be the therapist until they're tired of being the therapist, right? And then they're gonna abandon the person, tell them what they really think, respond aggressively, cut off their phone, go back to their life, tell the, tell the person they missed the boat, because they're not their therapist and that's not their job, right? <laughs> your therapist's job is to be there every week. And that that's the problem with mama being a therapist, with the girlfriend being a therapist, because there's emotion involved, right. the wrong type of emotion. And when that person, it is inevitable. It's the reason why a parent is gonna come in there one week and tell you the kid is fine, and tell you come in there the next week and it's the worst kid in the world. And only seven days have passed because there's an emotional connection and you run out of patience. You know, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, I get it. Again, we're not talking about intent. The intent is to help the person, right? But it never works out that way because that isn't your job. You know, you're, you're a substitute teacher at best, right? Because the therapist's job 
is to be there every week, even when they don't want to be there. Your, your job you know is to be like, like, yo, how many times as a as a therapist has a, a client got mad at you and been like, yo, f you, Mister Kyle, I'm out of here. You're the worst therapist ever. You'll be there next week at four o'clock. You can't talk to your mama like that and then come in there two days later and be like, okay, now I'm ready to talk again. They're gonna be like, what? You can't talk to your brother like that, your friend like that. Oh, I hate you. You're a piece of shit. You're the worst fucking therapist ever. Knock some shit off your desk. Storm out. Fuck you, piece of shit. And then come back in next week. Oh, Dr. J, um, you know, I was having a bad weekend. And I'm like, yeah, come on in with that apology and let's process it. That's not, that's not how your mom or your girlfriend or your friends work. Not saying that they'll abandon you forever, but they're not that. You know, so... It is what it is. Like I said, intention aside, that's why we got jobs, you know? And, and exactly. Um, and that takes me to the, the final uh, point is family, you have to put, you have to put, I'm going to say this one more time. I'm, you have to put boundaries, protections in place for your own self-care. Um, and whether that can look like a variety of things, right? You got to have those boundaries. We talked about conversations. Maybe you need to see your own therapist or psychologist, right? Because you are dealing with this stress because of this relationship that is taking toll on you. But either way, like you mentioned, so you don't have experiences like you just talked about where you got that all or nothing when the person's mood is fluctuating or whatever's taking place that, again, you're entitled to have a reaction because or feel however you want to because you're human. But big difference, like you said, if those conversations are now becoming volatile and they're becoming aggressive, they're becoming all other different types of things. This is why as the family member of you trying to support your family member that is having mental health issues, you need to also put some boundaries in place. You need to possibly see your own therapist or psychologist. So you are getting support. You have to have all of these things in place. Because again, you're going to have some good days and you're going to have some really terrible days. And it's good for you to have your own support. It's good for you to have a place of refuge. Self-care also looking like taking care of yourself physically and emotionally, right? All these other different aspects, whatever you need to do that you're able to protect yourself and maintain your physical and emotional and mental wellness, you absolutely need to do this. Like just going in there, throwing your cape on and being like, oh, I'm going to save Brandon. I got him because I love him and that's going to be enough. I'm going to get through it. No, that's not how it works, right? That's a recipe for disaster. Again, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, Jay, the intention is there. However, the performance is going to look like something completely different over the test, test of time. And it's absolutely you have to incorporate these boundaries and these practices of taking care of yourself while you're at the same time, while you're trying to take care and support your loved one. But if you don't, it's going to it's going to come out sideways. It's going to manifest and go in, in the wrong direction. So I absolutely implore a lot of people to please take care of yourself while you're taking care of your loved one. Yeah. And add nothing else to that. I I, I agree, bro. Definitely. So, you know, so there you have it. You know, another episode in the books, Jay. Uh, anything oh. to get out of here, bro? Oh, definitely, man. I should have did this in the beginning, but we got off talking about you know uh, football. Just want to thank everybody. You know, take a minute. Thank everybody who takes the time to listen every week. Really appreciate it. Um, you know, everybody on YouTube, Google, right. Yep. Um, Spotify, the other platforms, we really appreciate it. Um, appreciate people for sharing the videos, um, you know, and we had some new subscribers coming on the recent last last 
recent couple of weeks. So we appreciate that too. Um, yeah. Always humbled, and we'll continue the the um, content. So thank you. Well, definitely, I will echo those same sentiments. We appreciate all the support. Uh, we're at what four hundred subscribers on YouTube and growing. So we appreciate that. Continue to share. Uh, and how many on the on the other platforms, right? Because we almost to a, a thousand yeah. total, right? Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's out there? So we absolutely share with people you don't even like. Share with the people who absolutely need support and therapy. That's what we're here for. They can get that from Dr. Jane, Dr. Kyle for free for the time being. All right. <laughs> uh Jay, before we get out of here, of course, brother, um, shopmentalhealthclothing.com, ladies and gentlemen. Summertime is here. You can get, you know, you got tank tops, you got the short sleeve, and then you can get, you know, a little cozy. For the fall time, because the fall time will be here before you know it. You get yourself a shopmentalhealthclothing.com hoodie out there and be stylish. Much right? appreciated. Right. Um, I'm getting ready to shut it down for a couple of weeks, do some revamping. And then, you know, with the school year, I'll be back up. But let them know about Cammy's Closet. You know, that they haven't been donating and digging your pockets, dig deep, you know. Um, but, you know, give them the website and everything to Cammy's Closet, too, before we get out of here. Absolutely. Cammy'sCloset.org. That's K-A-M-I-S Closet.org, guys. Absolutely. Uh, still doing donation events, um, helping families in need, giving and providing brand new essential free clothing to those in need, to um, our homeless population here in Philadelphia. If um, Send us a, a message at Cammy's Community Clothing. You know, on all the uh, different platforms, but absolutely, camiesplaza.org for more information. Come check us out. Jay, it's been a pleasure, my guy. All right, we're going to finish watching some of these preseason games and get ready for the real thing, bro. Always, bro. You already know. Till next time, man. Later. Right. Talk to you, bro.